I'm a little late with my thoughts on this, but there's a controversy online amongst Christians who say we should move out of secular progressive places. I'll weigh in on that and a lot more on this week's Corey Truax Show. Forgive me, I can't remember the name of the book or the guy who wrote it or the person making this argument, and I don't have time to find out for you because it is a preaching month for me, and so all of my free time goes to preparation to do the epistle to the Hebrews on Sunday mornings, and so I'm just going to have to talk through the concept with you, and then I will give you some second thoughts I'm having as I continue to develop my eschatology and where I think the world is going, and if we have time at the end, if I have time at the end, really. I'll have one idea that I found so unique and entertaining from one of the candidates for president. Not just entertaining, but intriguing, maybe something to explore. But first, welcome to the Corey Act Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'm glad you're here. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. I joined Threads. Maybe I shouldn't join Threads. That would now mean Meta, the company that Mark Zuckerberg started, would own the number one picture app, a photo sharing app and Instagram, the number one connections app. That's what I would call Facebook. It's all about connection to others and the number one microblogging. That's what Twitter is, the microblog. It would own them all, but that might not be a great idea, but Meta does a good job. I joined threads. I haven't been saying much there yet, but I'm over there on threads if you want to get me there as well. Uh, what else do I do? Oh yeah, pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood's awesome. I love that place. And we are going through the Epistle to the Hebrews on Sunday mornings in the month of July. You're invited. We'd love to have you out. Also have those sermons on the podcast feed as well. Always grateful when I see the numbers on those. About half of the show listeners listen to those sermons and give some feedback. I'm grateful for that as well. Here's the argument. There's a a guy out there saying Christians that are in very secular progressive areas, California, Oregon, Washington, Washington, D.C., New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. These places that seem to lose their mind. It's one thing when they just have gigantic government programs and huge taxes, but you know, at, at some point they stop prosecuting crimes or property, property crimes, open drug use in the, ma- in the major cities. We're going to teach your nine-year-old about oral sex, and that there's lots of genders. We're just that, That's going to be life here. They kind of went, went nuts in some of those places. The argument is, leave. If you're a Christian, leave. For two reasons I, I picked up. One, we need you as reinforcements, as cultural, and for a lot of these guys it sounds political. We need you as political reinforcements in Texas and Georgia. We need you to go take states that are close and on the precipice politically, like Wisconsin and Arizona. We need you to leave. Go leave your place where you live and go to a place where we need you to reinforce decent cultures. And second, it it seems like, yes, we need you to move to reinforce. Yes, voting. I I don't like how political these guys are, but voting. But but also just, hey, more sane people in a place where there are sane people. There are decent. They are pursuing decent things. And they need more neighbors. They need more people around them. But then secondarily, it seems to allow the consequences of secularism, the consequences of progressivism to implode on itself, to allow the suffering and anguish that will come to a California, a Washington and Oregon, uh, a Washington, D.C., 
for being so backward, for being so outside of God's plan, God's design for humanity, let it implode upon itself. That's the argument. You should do that. If, you're, if you live in one of those places, you should leave. So much so that the preacher who put it forward, or I, don't, I actually don't even know if he's a pastor, he was preaching in a video, very snarkily said, and I want to give this guy some benefit of the doubt, we all say aggressive, snarky things from time to time that we don't really mean. So I, I don't want to paint a picture of this guy that's not just, I'm just going to tell you, in a sermon or a talk, I don't know if he was preaching or speaking at a conference, saying of his critics, you know, the, the critics would say, I got Christians in Iran and North Korea and Iraq and all over the place where they're persecuted. You can tell them to leave because the place they, they, they live is godless. And he says, no, they're trapped. You're just stupid. You're stupid for living in California. And in particular, so that, that's the argument. You should do that. Again, part of it's cultural. It does, it, this guy in particular seems political. Like It's very important that, that his political party win elections and so he, I think he sees the 5 million registered Republicans in, in California. I think he sees them as this treasure of, of hope that if he can even move a million of them, move a million and a half of them to these other states, then he can assure himself some election outcomes that seems to be part of, the, part of that movement. But you have in California some very faithful Christians. I don't agree with him all the time, but he's built quite the ministry. John MacArthur in Grace Bible Church, Grace Community Church. I think it's Grace Community Church. His group's out there. They have a, a seminary that's quite, quite popular. One of our largest Baptist colleges is in California. It's in Riverside, California, called California Baptist University. One of the most generous universities the Southern Baptists have for mission, missionary kids. They have incredible scholarships. If you're a Southern Baptist Missionary's Child with the International Mission Board. You, you don't go to college for free, but it's close. What a great ministry they do. Up and down the coast. I mean, we could just name good ministry being done out in California. And so those Christians say back to this guy, we don't abandon. We, 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 uh, we, this, this place needs us more than anybody. We need to be affected for the gospel here. We don't want to abandon them. So that's the argument they're having. Here is my take. One, you can't make a law where there is no law. So the attitude, the sometimes brazen, arrogant attitude of someone who just says, I got it figured out. You should do what I tell you to do. Yeah, all right. You're the exact type of person I don't want to listen to when you've got it all. You all got, you got it figured out for everybody, not just yourself. You got it figured out what everyone should do. And to the point where you're making a law where there is no law. There isn't a biblical command to... Go join together with other Christians in a cloister. It almost sounds a little bit like that Benedict option. Rod Dreher wrote a book about 15 years ago where his argument was, if you don't know Rod Dreher, he is, I can't quite tell if he's Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. I think he's a Christian. I think he's a believer. I think he just is kind of a weird dude sometimes. His argument is, we just got to get out of everything. We need Christians to start banks so we can stop using their banks. We need Christians to start car companies so we can stop driving their cars. We need Christians to start education co-ops so we can just stop using their education system. Christians need a whole other subculture or an anti-culture that, or at least a substitute culture that we don't, 
we, we all need to work for each other. We need to get out of working for Apple and Amazon and Google, and we need to start our own tech companies. Like, we just need out. We need the Benedict option. And j- Christians live with Christians, find Christian uh, neighborhoods, and that's how it needs to be. It's a little bit of what, not in full, but that's a little bit of what this sounds like is you need to go get out of the pagan lands and go to the Christian lands. There's, let me outright say, you can't do that. You can't, you cannot burden someone's conscience without the biblical authority of your point. And so I reject outright the call that says, if you don't do that, if you don't move, you're, you're in sin, you're being immoral. But two, this does call us to a point of wisdom. It is very good, godly, and wise to think intentionally about where we live. I've mentioned him on the show a couple times. I have a listener and friend, Zach, who lives down in the, the Midlands, who has just lived so intentionally. He chose the neighborhood intentionally. He lives in his particular home in the way that they organize their lives very intentionally, that's integrated into a neighborhood so that, if I understand it correctly, they can really live their lives without ever having to drive. They can... They, they have been able to in, integrate themselves into their neighborhood so well. Thinking about on purpose, where should I live? It's, it's one of our weaknesses that we don't, we, we don't pray about. We don't even have a, a category to ask. Should I, should, I live, should I live somewhere else? Is that something I should consider? We just tend to fall into some place without asking, Lord, would you, did you want me somewhere else? Should, do I? What should I be considering when I buy a house? Is it just cost, and is, does it serve my family, or the place where I live? Does it make some kind of kingdom impact? It is. It is an unfortunate idea that we would go through life and not think about one of the most important things about us: where we physically reside. That's the people that we're go, we're supposed to influence, and we're going to hopefully see regularly. I got other folks in our, our church that we've talked about that. They were intent on finding a church when they were looking for one where they knew a lot of the people they go to church with are going to live in the town where they live so that there is a, a, cr- a crowd of their folks around them. There's, some, there's people to partner with. There's more flexibility, more things you can do with more resources and more people. We should all live intentionally. And here's a, a truth for that. I think of some folks who live in those really secular, progressive places, pray about it, the Lord might send them somewhere else and say, yeah, you, 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 haven't, you haven't thought about it yet, but now that you are opening yourself up to have this as a consideration, yeah, I'm calling you to another place. Yeah, that'll happen. You know what might also happen? That some, some person here graduates with their software engineering type of program in one of our colleges to the South, and the Lord's says to them, you need to go to Google on California. That's a culture that needs Christians in it. We, we need you there. Uh, it ends up being a, a matter of conscience. And for some of these folks, it does seem like a matter of strategy where, the, uh, I should, yeah, let me say it this way. I'm mostly now dealing with people who are in their eschatology. When, when they think about how things end, they are post-millennial, meaning Jesus is reigning right now, so we should be pursuing the world to look like the kingdom of God. Right now, we should want those things to happen. 
And just so strategically, it sounds like this guy is saying, uh, let this let those states collapse. Let's gather together and try, try to restart something. A, a totally legitimate strategy also is go to pagan places, live authentically genuine Christian lives, and try to make converts. So it's a good call for all of us to think about intentionally where we live. And I think I'll I think I would just leave it there. I would reject outright the idea that someone could, one Christian could tell another Christian they're in sin because of where they live and they should move. And then I would call every Christian to think intentionally, should I? Do am I and, and where I am living, where the Lord has planted me, am I considering that as a major part of my my function as a believer that I'm doing something with where I live? That's a, that's topic one. Number two, it leads, maybe you can hear it in my voice, to some of the second thoughts, not troubles, not struggles, some of the second thoughts I'm having as I develop what I think about where the world is going. You, This is probably something I need to talk about over on the, the show I do monthly with Cody Fields. Because... I, I have moved towards this idea of bring yes, bring the kingdom now. Values some values are going to rule, some philosophy is going to rule. There are there are no neutral places, so it might as well be the Lord's way now. We might as well try to implement that throughout the culture and the economy and governments, banks and entertainment companies and uh, it's, and and, go, and governments and Go through all the the seven mountains uh, and education. All yeah, all that should be. We should be pursuing what the Lord wants and what He has commanded. And then I I was getting ready in my Hebrew series, and I, I came back across one of the big themes of the Bible being exile, feeling like we are exiled people. We have a home that we long for, that we believe is coming. But wherever you are as a Christian all over the world, you're in exile. You're in a place that doesn't have your values. You're an alien wherever you live. We are, in Hebrews, uh, I think it was phrased something like, we await another country. It's, it's well on into the book, into the, into the epistle. And I know those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can both feel like an exile while awaiting the other country, the kingdom of God, to come in full, and while you're living there, feeling like an exile, you can try to make it your, your values. You can try to spread your values. Think about that Jeremiah 29 passage that I come back to a lot. When the people of God in that situation were, were asking, what do we do here in exile in Babylon? How are we supposed to behave? When, when we're not at home and we're not with our customs, we're not with our culture, and the response is, Plant gardens, build buildings, give your daughters in marriage, give your sons in marriage. Don't shrink there, grow there, grow up. Prosper there, pray for the city that you're in. Yeah, you're not home, you are exiles, but try to make the city better. And so my my instinct is not, I'm not trying to tell you that I think the two things are mutually exclusive, but the two things are, our intention, what one feels like, we're marching on. We're going to conquer everything. And the other one feels like, we are going to do our best. We're going to be faithful. And we are going to see wins and we're going to see losses. But we're going to do our best to be faithful right here. And the Lord will do his work how, however he's going to do it. 
I suspect one is one feels post-millennial that the Lord is reigning and we're going to go implement it. And one feels ah-millennial that we are we are awaiting Christ's return, but there's no mandate or or guarantee that the the Lord's values and are going to be implemented. There's two things just pull on each other for me because I'm not saying they're mutually exclusive, but it's hard to hold both. I'm an exile in a country where I don't belong. I, I want to flourish here. I want this place to go well, and I'm waiting for the country to come. There's a difference between that and my singular focus is bringing the kingdom's values. It, hey, the word impose sounds so negative. I, I wish I could think of a better word in the moment. So excuse me for not thinking of a better word than impose. Impose the, the values of the kingdom on the world around me. That's what struggle I'm having. And I think the other struggle is this. I, I read enough and watch enough and listen to enough guys who, who have been thinking about post-millennial things longer than I have. A good bit now. And I, I probably haven't found the person yet to do this for me. If you have a resource, I want to know about it. It just seems like real, that the post-millennial people at large are very esoteric very theoretical, and no one has gotten really practical. I'll just give you two examples. Because we did it on the culture with Cody and Corey thing. We talked about prisons. There shouldn't be prisons. Under the law, under the biblical system, there are no prisons. There are are, uh, corporal punishments being publicly beaten with rods. There are capital punishments, death penalties. There are restorative punishments. There are labor punishments. There are all kinds of punishments. One thing we don't do is we don't lock you in a cage and walk away. Okay, cool. I also live in a country with the highest percentage of our population imprisoned right now. So is my job, or is that really what we're doing? We're just going to say it. Prisons are unbiblical. And does anyone have a first step? Has anyone thought of a practical way? Because yeah, we just say it and true things are worth saying. But I don't, I haven't seen anyone even talk about literally a first step. It is as if just a lot of people who agree with each other saying to one another, yeah, prisons are unbiblical. Okay, I guess. And and are we just going to just say that out loud to each other and and I guess to the pagan world who just make make it think it sounds kind of crazy and then we don't really have anything practical for it? We'll probably come to this one, like the the idea, like education, is not is not a responsibility of a government. When you have the three, you have the three uh, realms of authority: family, government, uh, church. It, it's not even the church's responsibility to educate your kids. It's it's mom and dad's. Now, mom and dads might partner together. They might choose that in their authority to partner with other dads and moms to educate uh, in an organized way, drawing on one another's expertise because it's, it is hard to, even just in our, I think in our church, I can think of the people I would want to have my boys learn math from and literature from and science from because I don't have some of those skills. I'd want them to learn theology and history from, well, history from me and theology from the elders of their church. But like, we, we just... 
they just say out loud on some of these podcasts, schools run biblical. Okay, well, in my church, I got people who work as teachers. What do you want to do? Tell them to quit their job? Tell them the entire system you're in is unbiblical. I don't think the answer to that is yes. I don't think they would say that. I'm saying it's so esoteric and so theoretical that I am getting a little discouraged to frustrated with the question, has anyone, asked, like, what do, we, what do you want to do? And I'm, I'm frustrated enough with it that I came to one conclusion. Are we just going to say true things and the plan is let it all collapse? Like, we're just, we will, we, we will have been the ones that kept saying true things, kind of hoping that everything collapses, and when it does collapse, the watching world will be looking for an answer on why it collapsed and what we should do next, and here we'll be. We'll be here with the answer. I, listen, I know I sound like a jerk a little bit right now. I'm a little frustrated with myself but and how I sound, but maybe you can hear that's the frustration in me. The world I'm in, in, the, in a biblical world, are so fundamentally different I'm, and I feel, I, don't, I can't call it guilt, but I feel bad about it. I feel, I don't like that. I want to do something about it. And the voices I listen to, and I probably should stop listening to them as often, because it is frustrating me, just with a, sometimes a lot of pride and a lot of self-assurity, tell me the truth. This is what's true. This is what should be. And that is all they say. All right, cool. There shouldn't be prisons. Again, largest prison population in the country. What do you want to do? Excuse me, largest prison population in the world. What do you want to do with that? There shouldn't be schools. Cool. All right. Well, guys, there's uh, tens of millions of children that go to the public schools. We have in your churches tens of thousands or millions of people who work in them. I understand. Like, I get that postmillennialism is a 100 year, 200 year, 300 year project. But when I think about projects, I think about my, my real day job. I have projects. And I, when, all, when people need something from me, I will often ask, when do you absolutely need to have this done? Let's say it's a month out. I'm all set a goal. Well, I think it'll, this project's going to look like this. These, uh, these, check, th- these marks will be hit by day seven, and these marks by day 10, and these marks by day 14, and I'll know where I am in the project. All right, so I, I'm in, guys, for the project. I'm in. For, I just preached, preached through a part of Hebrews that took us to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 is a reflection on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And Psalm 8 was very poignant to me where it's saying everything was put under humankind's feet. You're supposed to rule. You're supposed to have dominion. And yet, the psalm says, we we do not yet see everything under humankind's feet. Yeah, right. Okay, so we see it. There's a gap. I see it too. And I'm in. I'm in for the project of making Psalm 8 happen. That through Christ in us, we go out of the world and bring things under subjection and dominion. And I have no idea how. Except to almost go back to that exile motif and say, be be an excellent man, be an excellent woman, be an excellent family, love your husband, love your wife, love your kids, be a good neighbor, manage your, your, whatever the Lord's given you, manage it well, care for it well, cultivate it well, share the gospel, spread the gospel, that's, I think that's I think that's all I have on it. It, I'm new to it. I'm new to thinking this way, and it just feels like the folks who talk about it the most are so 
abstract that I'm I, I don't want to say this to them because I I hate it when it's said to me but like people have said to me hey Corey you're so earth, you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good I don't think that was fair to me and it would not be fair of some of the people I'm thinking of as can, the Canon Press folks and some others I I listen to I just I I haven't heard any practical answers. And I want some. And I'm a practical guy, man. I'm good at answers. I usually have some ideas. But when I see how vast the gap is between what is and what should be, uh, I almost feel like my, what is my option? Just rail against it and yell and scream about it? Be angry? I don't don't like any of those emotions. I don't want to yell and scream and be angry about it. I'm super practical. I want to actually have a a plan. Like, this is occurring to me now. I follow a guy on YouTube. I don't know his real name, but he his persona on YouTube is Scooter Magruder. He does mostly sports videos. He's very funny. He'll, like he'll he'll do a reaction video after every NFL week, how different teams react. He's a big Dallas Cowboys fan, so it's it's good natured making fun of my team, and he, it's fun. He recently did a video of something he's doing, where he's learned a lot about architecture and building of homes. And he sees the housing crisis there in Florida because so many people moving to Florida. He sees the problem of trying to heat, the, excuse me, cool those homes in the summer. And there's apparently fairly ancient ways of building houses where you don't really need air conditioning and you have air circulation. You do some, like you build it into the ground apparently in some ways. And he wants to do that. And he wants to use that housing for, for halfway housing, people coming out of rehab centers and battered women situations and this guy's going to raise the money he's going to do something big i believe in what scooter magruder's doing like is, is that it is that what we're is that what we're supposed to do is it is it the benedict option that we talked about at the top of the show that we're just all supposed to gather together and let the world collapse on itself into destruction and then i don't know, like i don't even know like why would then after the collapse everyone listen to us and say our way is the best. Okay. Unless we're converting souls. And listen, even in that, like converting souls, they're still coming out of a very pagan background. The the sanctification process, at least for me, is taking a long time. And it is taking a long time. It'll be ongoing. Like this I, I am not, I feel like I'm talking like I'm such a pessimist, like super hopeless. I'm not, I'm not a hopeless guy. I'm not a pessimist. I always believe the best. I bet there are good answers to things I just, I've said the last 30 minutes. I just don't know what they are. I, I want some resources. I want one of you to tell me if I sound crazy right now, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. You can find me, look for me, Corey Truax. You can also email the show at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. I find totally unappealing and unbiblical the old way of thinking that is, we're all going to burn up anyway. We're all waiting for Jesus to come back, so whatever. You know, just do your best. And then I'm I'm super energized and, like, really optimistic about this new way of seeing the world where we go out and see the, the purposes of Christ the King, the thoughts of Christ the King permeate our culture. And it almost feels like the guys who are leading the, leading the show here are almost dedicated to not being effective. Because all they do is say the ideal, not all they do, a lot of what they do is say the ideal, which is off-putting to a lot of people, and don't even have like a, like I know what would be helpful is being able to say to somebody who hears the ideal, here's a small, like here's a small step I'd like to take in that direction. 
You see how reasonable that would be? Like like this. What if the first step is, oh, I just came up with an idea. Look at me. Cool. Like we just we just say out loud, I mean, education's so important. We only have we've only had a federal a federal department of education for about forty years, and we were doing just fine without it. I'm making up this argument off the top of my head, by the way. This is just coming to me. Our education outcomes were better. When you measure how our kids were performing in schools before the Federal Department of Education, overall, our kids perform better than they do now. We can blame it on a lot of things, you know, social media, the internet, but one thing we should know is if we, if we started an organization and its primary purpose is having lower outcomes over time, and we obviously were doing education a long time before that, I mean, maybe we should just get rid of the Federal Department of Education and give it back to state and local governments. That's a, that's a step. I think about that one in part because at my old house, I had on the wall in one of my rooms uh, a, a replica of the Northwest Ordinance, one of the most important early laws passed in America. And it was about the, the organization of everything happening out by the west, west of the Mississippi as we were organizing Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Washington, Oregon, and eventually California into states, what, what those principles were going to be and how that was going to work as we organized the West. And one of the things that our founders put in the Northwest Oregon Ordinance is that as communities joined there, and by implication as an act of Congress, as governments, local governments formed there, they were supposed to be given to the education of young people. Like So even that idea... Like what we're saying here, from the beginning, there was a wrong, something, something morally wrong, about the founders saying, "Hey, as we guys go, as we go west, governments should organize in ways to educate the kids." And it's apparently, at the time, I'm getting this, the churches at the time should have said, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." As we move west, moms and dads, moms and dads do it, and so don't put that in the Northwest or, or ordinance. But here's what that does mean. A fairly Christian, Christianized nation has in its DNA, from its earliest foundations, local governments doing education. And so if we got 300 years of it being in our DNA, we're not just going to undo it by saying the system's bad. The, the, the prison system goes on longer than that. I mean, I'm, I'm on a podcast two months ago saying, yes, prisons are, you shouldn't have prisons. And then I, I even look back on it and go, and what? So I okay, I said it, I said the thing. Now what do I do? What what's our first step? Now I've said that I said that like a thousand times. I got to quit repeating myself, but you can hear it. I'm frustrated. I want to stay on track. If you have thoughts, I want to hear them. Okay, final thing. Vivek or Vivek, I don't know. Ramaswamy, he's running for president of the United States. Has such a cool idea. By the way, you're listening to The Corey Truex Show, wherever you find podcasts. Glad to have you. Uh, his idea is, at high school graduation, when you're a senior, you have to pass the citizenship test to graduate high school. Or, other his, his other ideas around this, if you don't pass the citizenship test, then it's some kind of, uh, you can do military service instead. You can do, I think there were some other like public service types things. His idea here, oh, oh yeah. And you you raise the voting age. This would have to be a constitutional amendment. 
raise the voting age to 25 unless you are 18 to 24 and can pass the citizenship test. If you can certify at 19 years old, you at least know as much as our immigrants do, then you can vote. If not, you can't vote. I love this idea. There is um, some real value in earning something and it not just being given to you. When you earn the money to start making your own car payment as a teenager, you really love your car. The car means a lot more to you. When you are just given the car and you have no real skin in the game for it, you take it for granted. The United States is an incredible gift. If you got to know something about it, if you have to have some kind of barrier to your participation in it, it makes it more valuable to know what you've inherited. And I love that idea. And I thought I would just share it with you. All right. I, I got to get back to all the other things I'm supposed to do with my life. I'm so grateful you listen. I would be grateful if you would share the show with others. Just tell somebody about it. And I'll be back with other thoughts. Hopefully the next one, I will not sound as frustrated. I'm, I'm Even right now, I wish I could go back and re-record this. I don't like the, my tone. I, so let me say that. I don't like my tone right now. But it's the time I had to record. It's how I was feeling when I did it. And so forgive me. My time, if my tone was not yet. Forgive me, please, for my tone being acerbic, aggressive, and needlessly so. I gotta go. Thank you for listening to the Corey Truex Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'll be back with another new edition next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.